welcome to episode 18 of Penny Red. My name is Daniel Hodges, writer and designer of Victoria, and your host. If you'd like more information about the game, go to hazardgaming.com, and for information about the podcast as well as show notes and other episodes, go to pennyredpodcast.com. This week inside the Roleplay Studio, I've got Caroline Pierce, a gamer from Las Vegas. So without further ado, hi Caroline, how's it going? Hello, it is good. For the benefit of people that are perhaps not familiar with your involvement with uh, role-playing games and so forth, how long have you been a role-player? Oh, I've been playing for 25 years. It's scary when you say it like that, isn't it? Oh, uh, yeah, a quarter of a century. Yeah, oh, yeah. okay, forget I said that. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying it's not 25 years or you just don't want to like the sound of it? Oh, just the, the quarter of a century sounds... Um, it, sound, it just sounds like more, I don't know, it sounds too heavy. <laughs> yes, I've been playing it from time to time. Um, so uh, how did you get started and what did you play first? Um, well, I got my uh, original Redbox Dungeons & Dragons starter kit uh, when I was a kid. And I read through those and, and tried to understand it. And as a kid, if you don't actually have anybody there to necessarily show you... Uh, what's going on we didn't successfully manage to play a real game with rules until uh, later teens but i've had i still have my original red box with my polyhedral dice that i had to use crayons to color in right yes yeah i remember i just yeah yeah, saying that now i remember that the crayon i I, up until you mentioned that i had forgotten all about the crayon aspect of it but yes that's uh (laughs) that's that's part of it and are the dice uh still in good shape or have they they broken i seem to remember they broke down pretty fast oh i probably didn't get to use them enough until i um when i started by the time i started gaming in high school i just had a separate set Rather than that original set that I got. Right. Uh, and they're still sitting there nicely in their beat-up old red box. Right. <laughs> I'm nostalgic that way. Those character sheets are so simple and plain. Right, that's right. Yeah, but uh, but not any worse for it, right? Oh, no. Not at all. That's right. Like, it's I, a, like, a nice change of pace nowadays. Well, that's right. When I was a, a child, you know, there weren't all these fancy sort of Lego bricks, and I was able to make, you know, fantastic spaceships and so on and so forth, which probably, if I were to compare them now to the spaceships you can get from the little kit boxes that are around the place, bear almost no resemblance, but inside my mind they were perfect, and I think that role-playing in a lot of respects is like that when compared with, say, for example, you know, like a um, like a console game, like a you know, Skyrim or, or something like that, you know, like it, you can see it all sort of perfectly there, but it's still not quite as real as, as something you construct in your own mind and you know how you smooth all those corners of the of the lego blocks and so forth when you're when you're making sort of the lego creations out of your own mind mm-hmm. I'm, I'm nodding as you're speaking <laughs> i know you can't hear that but just know i am in perfect agreement with that i'll, I'll take i'll take your word for it um so <laughs> you started off with um a red box dungeons and dragons and I've sort of floated this idea before of there being a uh, sort of a, having to have a seed player, you know, somebody who's actually played before. If you get a whole bunch of people, none of which have played a role-playing game before and just seeing how they think that it works, I'm always sort of fascinated by that idea, like to actually be a sort of a, almost get them to like, like monkeys, you know, give them some toys and see what happens. But, you know, give a whole bunch of people that are interested a red box, Dungeons and Dragons, and then watch them from behind, you know, one-way glass, and uh, you know, and look and watch them and see what they actually what they actually manage to make of it. Um, and so, are you able to recall um, clearly enough, you know, what the game was like when, when you played it, as compared with when you'd actually played with somebody else that had perhaps played and had a better grasp on the way things were supposed to go? 
It was floundering because none of us were the type that learned well from reading. Right. And um, so we just put it aside and go, okay, well, let's just make this up on our own. Um, right. And in which that, of course, encouraged us to use our imaginations. And then when we finally did meet people that had already been playing and <laughs> could explain the rules and this is how your turns go and your initiative or whatever and damage and things, we went, oh, that's what those directions meant. Okay. Right. <laughs> But was it worse in any ways, or was it better, or just different? It's just different. I mean, I play, I game, because I just, I love the storytelling, I love the imagination, and and um, so it doesn't really matter to me, and it never has, how, how that comes about. I can be really rigid within rules, I can just be playing make-believe with my friends and rolling dice while I'm at it. Right. So, you started off with, with Redbox, and you were about what age, did you say? Uh, I would be 12 then. Well, and then, so you start off with the red box, and then what did you play? The next game that really came around after Dungeons & Dragons um, was, uh, my late teens, was when Vampire the Masquerade came out. Right. And that was the next game that I actively played. I'd heard about other games, uh, but nobody was running them, so I just played various Dungeons & Dragons. They're almost exclusively modules. Nobody did any creative right. um game or sorry dungeon mastering right uh it was just all module stuff and then vampire the masquerade and i played that for i larped that for years <laughs> right oh so you're actually part of you know, like you were the um what's it was called the mask uh was, was it called the masquerade i'm trying to remember uh, vampire I know, the masquerade the mind's eye theater mind's eye theater that's right yeah mind's eye theater yeah yeah absolutely so you actually got all the you got all the gear on the rock paper scissors and all that type of stuff mm-hmm and how did you how did you find that? Because I've spoken with a number of people that some people really liked it, and some people said they 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 were um, they liked it initially. But then the more they did it, they found that the people that they were playing with got more and more uh, into it to the point where it was like every, there was no there was no real time; it was all um, in character time. Right. Um, the group of people that I played with, and it was a pretty extended group. It was. Um, different people and then their friends and it just kind of radiated out like that but the core group of people that were running it invited friends that they knew that would get along with everybody else and by proxy it was a a pretty good group and nobody was um you know a major rules lawyer and people had a good time and people didn't take it too seriously or lose their mind if your character ended up killing their character and then oh no it was a disaster we had a group like that here in town that was very serious and they had a great big huge expansive property and every weekend people would go and put on their costumes and be very serious about what they were doing and and that was not at all what any of us were interested in right and so did you play any of the tabletop versions of of the uh, storyteller system Yes, yes, I've, I've played. I have not played any of the new World of Darkness, but I've played right. an awful lot of the old World of Darkness games. I've played Vampire and Werewolf and uh, Mage. Oh, gosh, Exalted, but that doesn't count. That's just a different Werewolf or White Wolf game. Hmm. Did you play Wraith at all? Oh, we had the books 
collectively, I, I end up sounding like I'm talking about my game group, like we're Borg. I say we. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody put, pools of resources together. Right. Uh, and these people have been collecting these books for years and years and years. So collectively, we have about seven full-size bookshelves filled with right. game books. Right. But, uh, and yeah, um, so we do have Wraith, but nobody ever played it. Just like the old Changeling. Right. No one ever played that one either. Right. I'm hoping one day to get somebody on that's uh, that played uh, Wraith, because Wraith was my... Like, the game that I enjoyed the most was Mage, but the game that I really wanted to play the most but never got the opportunity to was was Wraith. And, and one of the things about that game is that there's the Shadow, and the Shadow is played by somebody else um, at the table, and... In a lot of respects, it feels to me like Wraith was ahead of its time because a lot of these new sort of story games is much more collaborative, and you've got you know players interacting with other people's players and helping to tell their their stories, and that's really what the Shadow was. But that was fifteen years ago, and uh, and I just wonder if that's an idea that was just ahead of its time, or you know, I'm hoping I'm going to better get a hold of somebody that's played not only Wraith with their Shadow, but also played some of the new games like um, uh, Fiasco. Oh, I um, I have to dig those books out and give it a go. No one, we never played. We never played Wraith. We never played Mummy. We never, well, like I said, the the old Changeling was awful. The new Changeling is. Uh, we just played a little quickie um, module on that one, but it's so much more playable. Right. I never. I never played Changeling. I don't even actually even have the Changeling book. I think the last sort of set of those that I gathered up was the was the Wraith. Um, was it Wraith games? But yeah, I think uh, I've played all of them except for Wraith, although as a storyteller um, I did incorporate a lot of the elements from Wraith and then I tried to sort of flesh out the whole, obviously not the changeling part, but um, flesh out the whole world of darkness and so I had all of the different um, creatures running around the place And uh, but you never got to play Wraith by itself. Did you ever combine any of the worlds, like put oh, yeah. werewolves in your yeah. vampire games? Yeah, yeah, yeah I, I like that it's you can overlap. Yes, I never had. I think that the the players were only ever um, of the same. Like they were all mages, or they were all vampires, or they were all werewolves. Just because there's a whole vampire thing with the sunshine and so forth, I always felt that that was a little, a little stilted. You know, like it was very difficult to um, to keep those all you know flowing together without. Well, I can't do this during the day because there's that, and and whereas the mage and and werewolf and um, the other uh, characters, you know, even if they had, like, say, mortals in there, they could all do things at all different times of day, but Vampire was pretty strictly delineated when they could play, so any scene that occurred during the day, they either had to have another character altogether, or mm-hmm. they um, or they just couldn't participate. So I, I tried not to, to mix those streams, so to speak. But yeah, I, I definitely had, had all of them together. So after uh, World of Darkness, what did you move on to? I'm trying to remember, and I actually don't know. It's kind of a blur. <laughs> um, I got, I know we well after all those the world of darknesses that took years because I oh, played yeah, mage. Yeah. I mean, I played werewolf for a few years. Um, I, we've had we played an Arduin game for a couple of years, and the old Warhammer Fantasy we we mm-hmm. played for about two years, and and it, it comes and goes with the particular groups that I play with the most. Right. Um, depending on people's attention spans, so we'll have people trade off. Uh, games like once we reach a nice stopping point in a scenario, we'll just put the character sheets away with the books, and someone will pick something else up, and someone else will run. Right. So, like we're wrapping up um, Dark Heresy right now, and then we'll get back into the new 
the newest version of the Warhammer Fantasy again, so that way, you know, people can trade off. Always bounces around. So, I view the role-playing games as being on a uh, being sort of on a, a spectrum. At one end, you've got the real heavy strategy simulationist type games. Then at the other end, you've got the really loose um, sort of story games, improv type thing. And and so the at the, at the um, simulation end, you've got things like Rollmaster or or um, Twilight yeah. Two Thousand. And then at the other end, you've got theatrics or um, even more so, say, for example, Fiasco. Do you tend to gravitate to one end or the other of that uh, spectrum, or are you pretty well all over the place? I am one of those. Um, people would often call me wishy-washy when really I just don't have that much of an opinion about what I want to play because I just want to play. Right. As long as somebody can explain the rules to me so I am not holding people up, I'm just happy to be slinging dice and, and getting in, immersed in whatever world it is that, that we're playing in. Um, so I just play with whatever comes up. <laughs> right. Oh, that's the I, thing, um, isn't it? I mean, if you get a chance to, to get together with like-minded like-minded people, you know, that's always the, that's at least half of it for me. I know that the group that I play with on a weekly basis, you know, we spend at least, you know, an hour of the you know, the five hours or four and a half hours, however long, just talking about our work weeks and, and whatever else is going on. And then we do some, some role-playing and then maybe even partway through the game, you know, we might talk about something else that's, you know, not 100% related yeah. in a lot of respects, you know, being as we're all... Um, grown up and some of us have uh, kids and wives and other things you know impinging on your what used to be your role playing time you know just getting a chance to to talk with friends even if it's in the context of a game is is really what it's what it's all about so i can definitely uh sympathize yeah. or empathize it's gaming time and social time all worked into one but i think that's kind of like the difference between playing with a group of people that you know really really well and playing with a say like maybe just a local group where you don't necessarily know the people it's an to me it's an entirely different gaming experience because you don't have that chit chat going on you have you're there just to game right um i play with a second group that I've been playing with for two and a half years and I fell into it because a gal pal of mine was a bartender at a club and I talked about Shadowrun. She said, wait, my boss plays that. (laughs) And so I went in and I met him and I started playing with this whole group of guys that have known each other since high school playing Shadowrun and it's just, it's an entirely different environment playing with people I don't know. Yeah, oh yeah, sure. Uh, It's interesting. Yeah, I get that sort of at conventions, uh, you know, you get that because you have you know, yeah. five or six people you don't know, you know three times in a day, you know, it can be kind of exhausting, but exhilarating as well, but just sort of seeing the different ways that people do it. And that's part of the reason that I, I put the, the podcast together in the way that I did, because people's gaming experiences, they share a lot of things in common, but there are a lot of uh, things that are, that are different as well. And, and oftentimes, uh, until somebody actually shows you that something can be a different way or explains it in a different way, it just never even occurs to you that, that that could even be possible. So that was yeah. sort of the, the impetus of it. So how did you find going to a, a group of people that you didn't know? Like, how was the was the, the game different, like even the way that people played? Um, well, I am... The group of people that I ordinarily... Or that, I've, uh, that I know, that I've known longer, they try to build a balanced group because we want to be balanced so that way we can accomplish whatever might come up in the game. And with this group of guys everybody made whatever they wanted to make and so in being Shadowrun everybody was street samurai and mages and all on the offense nobody 
nobody had any. There was no tech. Right. <laughs> there was no electronics expert because we don't allow deckers because they uh, um, slow the game down. But we, yeah, so yeah, we just kind sure. of simplify it. Right. Actually rewrote the rules to make it a little more simplified. Sure. Um, well, that's sort of like the idea of, yeah. the, of the vampire, right? Like if it's if it's daytime they so they reverse the vampire right if it's if it's daytime they can't play but with a deck like everything's going on inside their head and there's no there's no room for anybody else right yeah well and then everybody has to stop while the game master and the decker are going through whatever's going on in mm-hmm. the in the matrix right the- right and that's you know that's kind of to me at least you know that's uh, there's there's room yeah. for personal time but that's not even really character i mean i'm i'm all for spending t- uh, spending time on on character um development like one on one time for character development you know like i think that some scenes call for that right but then yeah. if it's just sort of like plot stuff no character development then i'm um, i'm with you i think truncating or rewriting the rules in some way to to gloss over that yeah. looking at the ultimate goal and seeing if it's achieved is probably more important than playing that unless there's some sort of story element that takes place but but yeah i i can see i can see that for sure yeah i like i like playing a, a decker but it's bad enough in, in Shadowrun if you have people doing like the mages doing battle on the astral plane the people that mm. can't see the magic are not able to participate so then that their part of the game stops well the astral plane stuff happens and if you add on to that the um all of the electrical computer stuff it's just it ends up kind of fracturing um, yeah oh for sure the action yeah yeah and it, and it takes a lot longer for, for stuff to happen you get people checking sports scores and you know you leave that lose that sense of immersion because you know really there's literally nothing that you can do not only can you not affect what's going on you can't even see what's going on so there's no way you can justify yeah. your input and then gamers lose their attention span and start chit-chatting and then mm. there's a ruckus going on because people are talking about <laughs> work or whatever yeah exactly exactly yeah Okay, well, I think that uh, people so. have probably got a, got a pretty good idea of uh, where you're coming from and, and where you're at right now. So let's crack on with the uh, with the main uh, part of the interview. So, what's your favourite book or okay. supplement? Oh, my favourite book supplement. I supplement, yeah. tend to only I tend to only read the books after we've played the game. Um, I don't know. I love all the Exalted stuff. Right. I really love Exalted. Um, so I, I don't know. As a supplement, though, that's not a supplement. Oh, no, you I don't think I have a good answer for that. Or, book or supplement. Like, just, like, it doesn't necessarily even have to be oh. you play. You just, like, for whatever reason you love. Like, for example, my, my favorite book or supplement is probably um, Project Twilight, which is the Year of the Hunter book for Werewolf. And I haven't played a, a Year of the Hunter um or Project Twilight game in probably 10 years. But I, I always love the book and always go back to it. Um, and so that's probably my favorite book or, or supplement. But, uh, yeah, it doesn't have to be something that you played. It's something you just always enjoy and you always find something else in it. Oh, well, it would still probably be Exalted. Right. I, uh, I, lo- I love all the Exalted stuff. I like I like that they're reawakened right. um, pretty much gods they're you know the solar born or the lunar or whatever right. uh, i have like some of the the fiction books and the comic books are a lot right. of fun I, I just it really triggers my imagination and plus the gameplay right well that's that's another I, idea I like that has sort of floated over the last last few weeks is that um 
that you know, like I, I think that probably people have like have a role role playing game soulmate, like just something that just happens to uh, that happens to fit them uh, perfectly. And and although that I guess that it could just like real soulmates can sort of change uh, over time. Um, people have a game that they that they gravitate gravitate towards. Do you have one of those? Well, I what I used to um, always say Shadowrun, but then I've been playing it consistently for the last two and a half years, so I feel very satiated in my Shadowrun longing. So I, I, I gravitate nowadays towards Deadlands, any of the Deadlands. Right. That, that's another gaming system that I absolutely adore with the chips and the cards and right. uh, the quasi-familiar world that it's in, so that way you can actually imagine it, but it's just changed... Right, uh, I had never really, played really like Deadlands. I'm, uh, I'm I'm familiar with it, but I've never really played it. And my understanding was that uh, I think it was Donald episode eleven was saying that uh, he liked the way that it was with the uh, with the cards and stuff. But they released a D twenty version of 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 Deadlands, and he felt that that really um, oh. that that really sort of sucked some of the the soul and some of the character out of the game by by making it generic <laughs> and not. You know, like taking those the cards and the chips and stuff away and making it less, you know, less evocative as a result. It's a, a being a and this is kind of uh, setting you up a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's final question. Huh? I I couldn't imagine playing Deadlands in in a open gaming licensed D twenty type setting. It would. It's a great world, but the world is even more enhanced by the uniqueness of the gaming system with the cards and the chips. Oh, for sure. I, I absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I think it would definitely lose some of the the flavor. Right, and that, as I say, that's going to huh. that's going to play into the, the final question I've got for you uh, this evening as well. So, to keep that uh, okay. to keep that thought square all the way. Um, so, uh, if you could uh-huh. cause one game or supplement to cease to exist, what would it be? And it doesn't necessarily have to be a game you think is badly written uh it could just be because it's you know wronged you in some random way or there's just something about it that that rubs you up the wrong way quite apart from you know anything that uh, you can rationalize i would probably say the original changeling um from white wolf because it or at least at the time when we were interested in playing it its playability was simply not there it was such a great idea but there was it was just not user friendly right and that pissed us all off because we wanted to play it we wanted to be uh you know human children stolen by fairies and raised in um whatever seasonal court unless i'm mixing up which versions of changelings that's coming to mind but I know that, I that was very either, disappointing. So I can't say, but um, but yeah, that sounds from what little I know about it, that sounds familiar with the the first edition of uh, of Changeling. But I, I could I could easily be wrong. So so Changeling um, yeah gets destroyed. It's disappointing in the company too because you're like, well, what were these people thinking? Just because the ideas are in their head doesn't mean that it translated to the page. <laughs> right. So it's a lack of uh, a lack of explanation that was the was at fault for you in that respect, or they just lack of play testing. Like everything else had been gold up until then, and so they just chucked it out with this sort of the same sort of fuzzy idea sticking. The same people would pick up that book that had picked up Vampire and Werewolf and Mage and Wraith, and then they were just going to move on to Changeling. 
that it does seem like it just kind of got just thrown out there to ride the um, ride the waves of the popularity of, of the White Wolf games, and that it just was not executed well. Oh. Um, because we'd all played, we're, we're all pretty competent gamers and good at extracting what we're supposed to from things that are maybe not written as clearly as they ought to be, and sure. yet we never managed to get get it together to figure out what they were trying to do. So it maybe it's just our group, but that was one. That would be one that I'd like to just say, uh-uh. <laughs> Wipe that one away. Fair enough. So And they did any- make up with the with the second edition, so Right, okay. And you've played the second edition? Yeah. We did we did a small little pre generated introductory campaign and it was right. very playable and fun and we really enjoyed it. Right. Do you think that maybe uh, if you went back now to the original changing, it might make more sense, or do you think that's just fundamentally flawed? I think it's just fundamentally. Fin- it's so bad, I can't even say it. <laughs> I think it's just. I think it's just flawed. Right. Um. And, and when I say second edition, I I don't think I actually mean it as in the second edition of the same game. No, I know it's because you mean. it was like the reworking of it. Yes, it's, yeah. Instead it of is. changing the dreaming, it's now changeling the something else. Right, yeah, I I can't I don't recall, <laughs> yeah. All I know is all I know is that I didn't like the new version of uh, of Mage. I was of all the games as I, as I said, you know, Mage was uh, was the one that I played and, and enjoyed the most, but I wanted to play Wraith, but, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, the Mage the uh, Mage the Awakening I think it was was called. And they were all from Atlantis or some Thing probably do with aliens or something I don't know, but but anyway, <laughs> aliens ruin everything. It seems whenever they whenever there's a story and something fantastic's going on, then uh, then they go ahead and introduce aliens. So like the example that I've given before is Highlander and Highlander Two. I um I loved Highlander, and then I fortunately before I went to see Highlander Two, somebody told me there's something about aliens and and it's all, and I would just I didn't go oh, and no. watch it. So my inside my head, Highlander is still still perfect but um but yeah I'm, I'm not i'm i think probably i'm in the minority or i think a lot of people have seen too and wish that they they hadn't it's just something you sort of thing you can't unsee but um so are there any games or supplements that you're looking forward to at the moment oh um more fading suns and the um we'd played a little bit of fading suns and there were supposed to be more books coming out, and just last Friday at game, though, um, the fellow that was running the game and keeping track of when the supplements are supposed to come out said that the company that's going to release it ended up ditching the creator's work and oh. say, no, we're not going to release your stuff that you've been working on for three years, but we're still going to be releasing something in the next few months, but who knows where the material is going to come from. So looking forward to it, but I, I'm um, fearing that we're not going to be getting anything that we actually want from it. Right, right. Yeah, that seems seems likely if you ditch the main... Unless, of course... I mean, they might have just said, okay, we're ditching you, but we're going to keep the intellectual property because you generated it while you were working for us. But, but yeah, it's, uh, yeah I, would, I would be in fear of that for sure. Yeah. So, if you could only be a player or a GM, which would you choose and why? Oh, definitely a player. I am. I have played with some amazing game masters that are so quick-witted and on their toes and can handle the cleverest gamers and still keep the tales coming. And and I am not that person. <laughs> 
right, uh, <laughs> which is why I'm a player and not a game master. Right. That's the uh, that's the thing is that um, my my feeling is that much like role playing itself, you know, either you get it or you don't. I think that when it comes to uh, game mastering, either you can game mastering, either you can do it or you can't. Now, I think somebody who's a player can be a game master, but they probably find it extremely difficult. Like um, most, a lot of game masters that are, you know, really free form, they might do like one hour of preparation for four hours of game time or something like that. But um, yeah. in my limited experience, somebody who's just doesn't, is not comfortable being a GM or just not as, not intrinsically a GM always ends up, se- or at least uh, seems to spend as much time preparing for the game as the game run, which, which also reduces the amount of enjoyment they get from it right it's it's just not something that comes right. that comes naturally so um, i also don't think that i'm um familiar enough with any particular game to uh be comfortable bringing other people into that world the only game i ever actually wanted to run was vampires of the east and i never got the books right um so <laughs> but that's because i know way more about Asia than my friends. So. <laughs> right. And is that familiarity with the setting or familiarity with the system that, that largely puts you off? Um, well, both. Um, you know, one of the convenient things about vampires is that it is set in the world that we are in. Right. So, I'm, I can say, I'm living, I live in Las Vegas, Nevada, so I can say, you know, here's the strip and we can all picture it in our head, whereas right. if I am playing... Uh, dark heresy and we are in um, you know in the middle of some warp void thing where rooms are shifting around like it's Hogwarts I, I, I have right. a harder time picturing that <laughs> the right. same way that everybody else is so we might not even be on the same page so sure. I, I uh, yeah I think it's just it's a comfort level thing right okay so, so have you done any GM I've I've uh, run some modules, but the modules are basically just so that way we can get a flavor for the game. Right. As we're all learning, so it's not like anybody's relying on me to keep the game experience flowing because we're all learning at the same time. Right. Um, one of the things that I've noticed about uh, role players in in general is that uh, it's roughly one to. Th- one, uh, like two out of three are males and one out of three are, are females, give or take. I, mean, I think that number is, is, is creeping up. But when it comes to being game masters, um, it, there seem to be a, women game masters are rarer still, certainly not represented in the same proportions as, uh, as men. And do you, I've heard a number of people have expressed theories about why that might happen to be, but do you have any feelings about why there seem to be so few girl game masters? I have not actually contemplated that idea before. I do not have a theory on that. Um, hmm. One of the things that I um, that I floated as a possible um, theory is that uh, that women like to focus in on you know really getting to understand a character and get behind their motivations and, and think about all the various minutia of their of their day-to-day lives and their motivations and so forth. And so being a, being a game master can be, um, can be unsatisfying because you don't get to develop all those aspects of your, uh, of your NPCs. Do you think there is anything in that? Um, on the flip side of that, though, you're controlling the amazing world that all of these 
PCs and NPCs are in. So if you want to create nuance and flavor and background, you can do that with the world, not necessarily just the character. So maybe, um, I, I don't, I don't know. I've never even, it's really never even dawned on me. Huh. Maybe that hasn't been your experience. Do you attend a lot of conventions? Oh, I've not a whole lot. Comic-Con and then horror conventions where there's no gaming. But um, I've been to San Diego Comic-Con several times. Right. Uh, And here in Las Vegas, we have Gamma. Right. Which is a game. Oh, I don't remember that acronym. But anyways... That's the manufacturer's sort of a trade show, though, right? More than a role-playing Yeah, convention. but there's still a lot of um, bookstores get to go and comic book stores and game stores and, and things like that. So it's really not all about business. Right, it's so there are some uh, games and so forth? Oh, yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. I, I assumed that it was more like a trade show and you could go along and you could buy stuff and see cool things maybe being demoed, but not many people actually running games, but it, uh, that's evidently wrong. Oh, well, why not test out a game on your peers? <laughs> oh, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, uh, that, might be, that might be a bit intimidating, you know, with the uh, the wealth of experience that they all have. But, but yeah, it's uh, maybe it is too intimidating for me. I, I shall give it due consideration. Um, so uh, what's the perfect number of people to uh, role-play, the perfect number of players? Assume you've got one GM. Oh. Four or five. Uh, it, it's enough to have diversity and not too many so is that you end up with too many varying opinions and battles don't take epically long. Right. Do you think that there's a necessity... Do you think that that number varies depending on the type of game you're playing in terms of whether you've got a like a simulation game where you've got a lot of action but not a lot of character development or as opposed to a game where there's a lot of a lot of it's on the character development not so much on the action to make sure everybody gets a decent amount of face time oh i I, i'm sure it would depend on on what game there's there's no hard and fast rule i mean if if my Shadowrun game just got cancelled because we didn't have enough players right um but on other games um when it's all about, like, if you're having one of those social moments, you're not fighting anything. Nobody draws a weapon, but you have to talk to the right people. That can you only need two or three people for that. You don't need a group of eight. No, right. <laughs> oh, for sure. Um, so, how often do you role play, and for how long? So, I imagine that in Las Vegas, you, you do you guys keep pretty strange hours. Like, do you do a lot of playing during the day if you've got barkeeps and stuff like that are part of your uh, your gaming groups. Um, we used to. Different people play at different times. I, I ha- have two groups that I play with. One is weekly. The other one has changed to bi-weekly. And the bi-weekly one used to be, it started at 8 o'clock at night and ran to about 2 or 3 in the morning. Right. But that just got to be too hard on the people that had 9 to 5 jobs. Right. Um, but we, depending on, on what the run is, we... It, they usually go for about four or five hours. People start losing their attention span after that. Right. And like you say, once a week and once every two weeks. Of course, so that's nowadays. Ten years ago, we'd have epic long ten-hour gaming sessions where we I can't believe that we all managed to sit around that long on the floor rolling dice. Right. <laughs> I yeah, I think, think maybe the older, the older you now. get, the older you get, the the shorter the gaming 
sort of the gaming sessions become. I don't know whether that's because of a lack of stamina or just so many other things impinge on your time the uh, the older you get. But yeah, four hours is about how long um, we usually play for, between three and four hours, depending on how much uh, chit-chatting there is uh, on the yeah. front end. Yeah. So uh, should males play females? And you can take that either they should at least experience it once or you know whether you think that perhaps they should males should stick to playing females and vice versa, of course. Uh, I don't people can play whatever the heck they want I don't it matters and people will if somebody was going to play a gender that's not their own um, in a role playing game it depends because you can play a female character the exact same way you play a male character right so in that case should you just play a male character uh, why I don't know I don't I don't think it makes a difference it's just like you could play any race you want to play, why not play any gender you want to play? Oh, sure. I'm not opposed to anything. I'm oh, just... yeah. No, I'm, I'm just... That's just my, my take on it. I've um, I've played guys before, but that was in, like, pre-generated things uh, where they specifically said, okay, Caroline, you're going to play a guy because you always play a girl because you're a girl, so we're going to give the girl to him. <laughs> Right, and then, and so, do you think that um, you can get a genuine experience if you're a male playing a female? If you have, like, do you think that the GM needs to be particularly empathic with uh, with females in order to for you to get some sort of a feeling for you know the female character that you're playing, or are they just a tool really, and it's irrelevant? I, that depends entirely on what type of game the sure. GM is running. Um. Like if you're playing 1920s Call of Cthulhu and you're in 1920s America as a female scholar, you're not going to be getting any respect. Sure. And that's the type of history that's probably more readily comes to mind to an actual female than to a male just because that's a female history, you know, yada, yada, yada. But... um so if, like, the game master has, tells the male player that's playing a female character that, you know, you're, you can't go up and talk to that person because no one's going to listen to you because you're a woman, then then it's not just a tool to get the game done because then it actually makes a difference. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, sure, um, I can see situations where, uh, where I, being a female makes a difference, but... Um, I think it just depends on the game and the game master. Because some people play just to play. They like you know you can give me an, an orc fighter or you can give me a, a you know a battle sister or whatever and just give me dice to roll and tell me the story. Sure. So do you think that there's catharsis available from role playing then? Oh yeah. Oh, I. Th- um, I think that imagination and fantasy can be very cathartic because. Um. In if it's done in a healthy fashion, but it's like that with any any type of fantasy, you know. Sure. <laughs> I think that's having healthy imagination can is is in general an extremely positive thing. So, is there any space in any in any of your uh, gaming groups for people to work through stuff? Like, I mean, they're having they're having a bad day and they just want to get a uh, you know become play an orc or, or whatever it might happen to be with a big axe and go around you know killing things. Is that is that something that as a game master you know you need to try to accommodate? Like, does does the necessity of the player 
um, transcend the necessity of the story? Like, do you play with groups that are that friendly? My Shadowrun GM, I can totally imagine doing that. The only problem is, is that he doesn't have any control over how your dice are going to roll. Cool. <laughs> so, if he creates a situation where, hey, say, so the fellow playing the um, uh, dwarf sniper is having a really bad day, so we're going to actually give him something, throw something into the story, so that way there's something for him to do, so he can totally make an epic roll and sure. have a, that little bit of satisfaction, except then he botches his roll. <laughs> sure. That's right. You're going to make it worse, yeah? You thought your day was bad? It's followed you all the way yeah. into your role-playing game. I would, I would have you. to say, I'd recommend a video game for that then. And sure. just <laughs> enjoy the graphic visual of, of um, Mayhem. And <laughs> right. Right, for sure. Yeah, I can see that. How that and then hit reset right. if it doesn't go your way. That's right. Absolutely. So, do you or uh, should GMs fudge rolls? It depends on your group. I think part of the fun is having things not go your way and then trying to make your way out of it. Or getting a new character. That's right, yeah. I mean, aside from getting a, a critical fail that immediately leads to your character's death, I think there's something to be said for the uh, the interest or like uh, telling interesting stories, a lot of it comes from dealing with adversity, and oftentimes that adversity comes at the hand of a you know a poor dice roll or something, and and the way that the the GM uh, describes it, or at least how the player interprets that that dice roll, and, and how that interacts with the uh, with the story. Has that been your experience? I am. Um, my very first player character death was just due to absolutely abysmal dice roll, and that wasn't even on my part. Um, but then, like, in my game on, on Friday, my character was the only one that died. But there's fate points, so I, I burned fate points and managed to <laughs> get myself back in working order and burn right. some more fate points in case anybody else died. And right. um, people looked over their character sheets and flipped through books and said, okay, well, if we do this and this, then we right. can actually pull this off and get out of this alive. So I think it does create... Um, you you want to try and work your way through it and keep your character. You can always just make a new one, but you know, part of the fun is trying to trying to keep them. <laughs> yeah. So keep do you going. find that that's particularly the case with uh, Call of Cthulhu? Like, do you think there's a um, <laughs> just for the acceptance that you have? Oh, Cthulhu is so much fun. That's one of those ones I like role playing, right. just because my character is always the one that absolutely loses her mind. Right. But then I just end up so crazy that I'm nursing a bottle of laudanum and holding a rock that I think is a baby. So right. <laughs> too many insanities to actually be a useful character. But right. getting there is fun. Well, that, yeah, just sort of keeping your – like, do you enjoy the journey or do you try to actually eke out as long an existence in a playable form as possible? Oh, I, I don't treat my characters as disposable. Um, I've played with some people that go, ah, you know, my character is going to – totally ignore the fact that there's probably a trap and just try to plow right on through the door. Right. Because they can just make a new one because that's not how they played their character before, but they're doing it just because as a player they're bored. Right. can just make a new one. But I I like to try and, you know, I want the adventure. Right. And and in Call of Cthulhu that's kind of part of it, right? Like that whole you know, yes. just trying to, trying to stave off uh, madness as long as possible, even though you know it's uh, it's inevitable as part of what makes it interesting. But yeah, that's kind of the flip side of this. You know, like, do you fudge rolls? Do you not fudge rolls? Because 
if you know that the, the, the GM or DM or storyteller, whatever it might happen to be, is going to fudge roles, and that removes some of that, you know, sense of, you know, in, uh, the potential for disaster and like and risk, you know, like without any risk, then there can be really no, you know, meaningful reward. But the flip side of that, I guess, is that okay, I well, you know, my character might die, but oh well, I've got no investment in it, so what do I care? They're just a tool until I can get a new one. A sort of a, a paranoia type type situation. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I don't, I think whatever the dice rolls, the dice roll. Uh, if you don't have points to spend or any type of system in whatever game it is you're playing to be able to do a re-roll, that's, that's what gaming is. Right. But on the other hand, though, in my game group, we've had people, gamers, that notoriously lied about what they rolled. And we just, right. we ended up just discounting them. Right. I, I mean, I stress that word wrong. Discounting anything that they're saying because it's like you're, you're such a you can't even do your math right. That's a BS roll. Right. There's no way you could have rolled that. But yeah, sure. You're, you're sitting around with your clipboard. That's one of those clipboards that opens up. We'd all use those, and we sit on the ground and you just kind of roll your dice on the inside right. of the board and right. go, "Oh yeah, I just got a crit." Look how awesome I am. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I was thinking more from the standpoint of, a, of the GM rather than the player. I think that there's I absolutely opposed to players fudging their roles. Like, I don't think that that's... Oh, that's, that's just obnoxious. That's right. Yeah, that's not part of it. That's not part of it at all. I'm thinking about the GM, and 99% of um, GMs that fudge roles do so in favor of the uh, character or to make something interesting. Like, if you've got a, an adversarial GM, then if that's the type of game you're into, that's fine, but then they definitely shouldn't be fudging their roles. But I would say that 99% of fudge roles are in favor of uh, of characters more so than they are... Um, than they are again. Well, well, I mean, yeah. I, if you've got a GM that's fudging roles in order to destroy your characters, then then uh, maybe you want to look at getting a different different GM. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I one of I prefer when the game master rolls their dice so we can all see. We don't necessarily know what it is that they're rolling for. Sure. But I want to be able to see those numbers. Sure. Um, it's the same way they get to see my dice, so why can't I see theirs? Yeah, oh, for sure. I guess I guess part of that comes down to though, like whether you're prepared to trust the uh, prepared to trust that the storyteller's got the best um, has got the best intentions for the story in mind when they're rolling, right? Like if you um, if you're going to put trust in the GM as being not necessarily the final arbiter of everything that's going on, but somebody who's trying to facilitate a good story, and they have the advantage of sort of seeing sort of what's looming up ahead, then they're able to make some decisions along the lines of, you know, I know what's coming next, and I know that if this happens, then that's going to make that extra awesome, so I'm going to, you know, fiddle a, a role here so that such and such happens, then, you know, like, you, how do you feel uh, about, you know, like, relying on their ability no, to steer the story? Still not allowed? I, how, how the dice... I think that however the dice fall they fall if you're running um a module then just whatever you roll you roll and then you get if you're free forming it um well then you can make whatever happens happen because you don't have anything preset anyways right right um that's happened a lot uh on one of my game groups where we find out what we missed and what amazing things we missed. <laughs> right. You know, the, the door that nobody's managed to spot and all the riches that lay behind it and the sure. door that that uh, nobody managed to spot and it's a darn good thing because otherwise we <laughs> would have been obliterated. And right. 
Sure. Yeah, that's. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot to be said also for this idea of you know, like, do you is is a if you're not really interested in seeing what the dice comes up, then you know, should there be a roll at all? I don't know. Maybe it's because I live in Vegas. It's a gambling place. Right, no, <laughs> you know, enough. the dice roll. That's what happens. Yeah, sure, for sure. Okay, so what is the uh, most inspiring a uh, role playing or film or TV show? For you? It doesn't necessarily mean it has to be about role playing, but something you're watching. Wow, I'd really like to play a game based upon that world or based upon that idea or based upon even that character. Oh boy, I. I don't know. I unfortunately, my brain just launched itself into thinking of what like TV shows and movies that are games, and now I seem to be stuck in that little loop of thinking of Serenity and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Right. Well, if you, if you enjoy those, <laughs> and, then you know, then Dresden, and um, well, I suppose uh, in, in like the same kind of theme, one. of I really love the Buffy the Vampire Slayer RPG system because it's run like a TV show. Right. And you have drama points to spend. So if your characters are walking up and there's a barn and there's strange flashing lights, your characters aren't going to be practical and maybe slowly check it out. No, they're going to walk in the front door because they move at the speed of plot. Right. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> like a TV show. So it's a, it's a different... It's It's fun in that sense. Oh, gosh, though. What should be a... Oh, um, I don't. I don't think I have a good answer for that either. That's. Well, I think you've given a couple of pretty good answers of uh, Buffy and and Serenity and so forth. And just out of interest, uh, if you check uh, yeah, on episode eleven, I talk with Tim Brennan, who's one of the uh, designers of the magic system for the uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the the um, the Willow um, oh. sort of magic. So if you're uh, if that's something you're interested in, you may find some some value there. Also in Tim's blog, the other side. So. Aha. You can uh, you can check out some of that stuff. So, so along a similar lines, who's your favorite villain and why? <gasps> oh. My favorite villains are the Elder Gods. All right. <laughs> Tell me more about that. Because they never did the Cthulhu mythos. Right. Because they're just they get everything done just at the mere thought of them. They don't even have to do anything. <laughs> right. So as a as a um, as a player, so much mayhem. <laughs> as, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean that's that's their that's them incarnate, right? Do you um, so with that that in mind, like, what are particularly about them? Do you find compelling? Like a couple of examples of villains that have come up in the past have been um, Hannibal Lecter. Hannibal Lecter because he's an interesting character. Like he's a little bit you're a little bit ambivalent towards him. And in one respect, he's abhorrent because of the various things that he does. But in other respects, he's you know, he's some brilliant. of his per- well, exactly. Not only is he very smart, but he's got very good manners and all that, all that type of stuff. So you can sort of sympathise with him to a degree, and by empathising with your villain, it makes them that much more interesting and compelling. And, and other ones there have been have been the Joker, um, or uh, who oh. you know he's just like chaos incarnate. And he just wants to you know set the fire, the world on fire, and, and watch it burn because he doesn't ascribe to any of the standard. Um, things that people believe in. Um, and then there's somebody like, say, for example, Lex Luth, who's really only a villain because the stories are written from the standpoint of uh, Superman. If you were to write the same story from Lex Luthor's viewpoint, then I mean, Lex Luthor would be the hero and, and Superman would be the 
would be the villain. So I think the great old ah. ones fall in the category more like a like um, the Joker, right? They're just a force of nature with no with yeah, no goal that we are. can sympathise with Rome. Um, they, they they just they just simply are. They didn't make themselves that way. There's nothing that they did to make themselves be bad. They are just being what they are, right. and that doesn't work out well for humanity. Sure. And that's what makes them villains. Yeah, because they're in opposition to humans. But there's no because there's no absolutes in terms of you know in terms of a moral compass. Because there are no there's nothing that there's nothing to say that the way that they see the world is is right or wrong. There is no um, you know they're only villains because of the way that their actions impact the characters in the story. But are they actually yeah. are they actually bad empirically? And the answer's got to be no because <clears throat> on by what yardstick are you making this measure? Right, but since I would always be playing a human, um, sure, to, to a human, they would be a villain, even right. though they themselves are not choosing to be bad. They just are, which I think is part of the appeal. Right, so you like the idea of an un, unfathomable enemy? Yeah, and I, I think I like the way that... Um, yeah, there, there's no. I mean, to the to the characters, there's no even trying to comprehend them because the human human brain isn't even isn't supposed to comprehend them. Sure. Which I think is just in, intriguing to play with. Oh, absolutely, and that's what causes the insanity, right? Like in the mm-hmm. the, the rock baby in the uh, the laudanum. Oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So, if you could become a character in a role-playing game, what would it be? And that doesn't mean that you can you know, pick up a book and suddenly you can play the game that you want to play, but suddenly um, Caroline was somebody in some role-playing setting. Who would it be in what setting? Oh, all of them. Thanks. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I, I went back to Exalted. Right. Um but maybe that's because my visualization of the, of the action and the world um, is because the the action in that game is supposed to be very exaggerated, like an anime, right? Like a cartoon. So um, that is appealing to me. Um, oh gosh, what other? Well, there's no right. There's no right answer here. I mean, if Exalted is your, uh, is your I'm just. I'm trying to. I, I've played so many games, but that doesn't mean they're all readily available in my memory base for me to think of. So, would you be interested in being a vampire? Oh, mm, not necessarily in the Vampire of the Masquerade because the clan politics sounds like a. Well, I suppose it would depend on what part I was in the vampire society, but you know, playing politics like that doesn't sound like fun in the slightest. Right. And what about being magic? Like being able to cast spells, being a wizard? Oh, yeah. That that would be fun. Um, but exalted is your, your one. You like the idea of the, the sort of lifestyle that they, uh, that they have and things they have to contend with? Oh, well, no. None of them. They well, they all have their adversaries, and and the um, if you took that, <laughs> I, I wouldn't want to live in a world where I always had to fight for my life. Sure. <laughs> um, but Are you I happy think just being yourself then. Oh, I, I don't know. There's a scion. Scion would be kind of fun. Sure. 
um, you know, I'd be the spawn half half god of a whatever pantheon. That was a really fun game. Right. So I just know. having having power at your fingertips would be your uh, would be your dream situation. Oh well, it would certainly be interesting. <laughs> but a little too interesting by the sound of things if you're an exalted. Yeah. Too much looking over your shoulders. Do you have any dice superstitions? I am one of those people that does change my dice out. Um, it's not... I suppose it is a superstition. It's not... Um, it's half to do with... I I like dice, and they're pretty and shiny, and they're kind of like marbles, except that I don't shoot marbles. I roll dice. Right. Um, so if the red ones don't, roll the way I like, then I'll grab the blue ones. If the blue ones don't roll the way I like, then I'll try the green ones. Um, Not that they're sentient, so they really wouldn't be doing anything against me. (laughs) So it's half illogical superstition and half playing with pretty colors. (laughs) Right, yeah, that's, I mean, some people like them just for the aesthetic, right? But some people do have real serious superstitions about them, but I guess that, I mean, I don't have any, and I guess that sort of appeals to you as well. A number of people will raise their hands to liking certain dice for certain things, but there aren't that many uh, people that uh, can think of some sort of rational way to describe their, uh, describe the superstition, although I suppose those two words are kind of uh, the antithesis of each other, but anyway. (laughs) Yes, they're rational superstition. That's right. Well, some people are, are firmly firmly believe that their superstitions are founded in reality. That's the that's what I find the most fascinating. <laughs> I I know it's absolutely ridiculous, but I have certain dice that will never roll good for me. So I, if one of our players is out of town, but his character is in the scenario that we were running, we'll play the characters even right. if the player isn't there. Right. And so we'll use a certain set of dice when I am rolling his character because they will always roll great for him. Right there you go. Yeah, and that's one of those things like driving other people's characters around for them. If there's anything dangerous to do, then they're gonna you always push them to the front. Like suddenly they become handy tools, uh, yes. like mind they're like minesweepers, really. The, if you, Meat shield. That's exactly. Yeah, he goes first. That really bad, and I I've had that happen to me often as I've been traveling. I'll get a text. You know, I'm someplace else. I'm working. I'm trying to run a normal schedule, so I'm in bed by 10 p.m. at midnight. Right. My phone gives me a text: "You lost your left arm." Snake. <laughs> what? I lose limbs. I'm losing limbs. Yes, I've lost two. Well, that's no good. On the same character or in total? No, different characters. (laughs) One of them was the poor lady in Cthulhu that was nursing the laudanum and the rock. She probably didn't even notice. (laughs) No. (laughs) So, what's your role playing elevator pitch, including your go to example? Like somebody says, hey, Carolyn, what are you doing tonight? Oh, I'm going role-playing. What does that mean? Um, my pitch is that I get to hang out with my friends and tell stories and use imagination and exercise our brains while being obnoxious and having fun. Right. Do you, and do you ever have any, like, do you give an example? Like they say, well, you know, what, is, what do you actually have to do? Like, do you give a, a uh, like a, a, a canned example of play i usually just refer back to dungeons and dragons because that is universally if, it, if people have heard of a role-playing game that would be the one that people right. are familiar with right and did um, you read the article or hear about the article in the new york times um written about games of game of thrones no yeah the, the guy was having a go at game of thrones because he thought that there should only be one major character and that if 
with that if the people that were at HBO wanted to extend the appeal of, of a Game of Thrones beyond quote-unquote Dungeons and Dragons types, um, they needed to focus in on one character and um, and that would be the way to you know, that everybody would suddenly start enjoying the show. And the thing I found interesting about it, quite apart from the whole condescending tone of the of the, the article, was the fact that um, he was able to use this phrase Dungeons & Dragons types, and he felt that his readership was going to be sufficiently familiar with what that might might mean in order to be able to uh, to, to use it. And I wonder what, the, what Dungeons & Dragons types actually means to the majority of people nowadays. Um, a lot of people don't understand. They say, I know what, I, I know the, the word, but I don't know what that means. And so I say it's like storytelling a game. Right. Um, cause people, a lot of people don't comprehend playing a game that isn't already there. Right. They imagine a board game or a video game or sure. a card game and everything is already there. You don't do anything on your own. And I say, well, you take all that away and you use your imagination. Right. And, you know, if you want to imagine that there's mountains two miles away, then there is because that's what the game master who was running the game says. Right. And so then there is. Voila, there are mountains. Right. And you, who happen to be an elf who can shoot a bow is going to go to the mountains. So um, I usually just sell it as uh, story and imagination-based. And people go, oh, okay, that sounds kind of like fun. <laughs> That's neat. Okay, what are we doing? Now? <laughs> <laughs> then they pat me on the head and leave. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Exactly. Okay, so here's a chance where you get to uh, put everything together and in, in, uh, in the answer to one question, which is totaling 100, system plus GM plus players. How do they rank relative uh, their relative importances? Oh, I think that. Oh, let me see. Math. Who wants to do math? I would divide it up almost equally. You need to have a good game master that can tell a story, but if your players are obtuse and they. <laughs> And they can't think outside the box, or they can't think inside the box, and all the storytelling in the world isn't going to get the story going. Right. Um, so I think it's less to do with the system, because cleverness can make up for a poor system. Sure. But then are you playing the same game? Um, well, no. Because um, you can change the setting. But the setting will change with the game master. Sure. The reason I bring that up is I'm going to go back to one of the first things you were saying about how you liked Deadlands, and there was, you know, the system was based upon cards and you know poker chips and so forth. And so when you take that away and go for the D20 version of of Deadlands, uh, do you have the same game? And in which case, you know, is the actual setting and the system um, more important in that in that case? Ah. Uh. Well, in, in that case, I think it would depend on what game it is that you're playing. Because in, in that game, the gameplay, to me, is part of the fun. There's there's other places where you can get Weird West-type right. tales of, um, you know, the, the Old West that has nuclear fallout or whatever. I get the Weird sure. West and the, the Wasted West mixed up in those timelines because there's two different timelines. Sure. Um, but... The variables that you get 
because of the card play, the cards and the chips. Um, that's what makes that game system fun. So it's not just about being in, in you know, the, the wasted West where cans of Dr. Pepper cure you and you, know, you want wads of ghost rock, which are awful and yet really powerful. Right. It's that you can choose a card and... Um, I guess I like things that are less systematic and can have even it's even more it's even more so than a bad dice roll. You can have a good bad card roll and then you can make up for it by getting spending a a chip. Right. The chips are like eight points. Right. In other games or karma points or depending on what, what game you're playing, drama points. Right. So in your opinion for that question it'll be thirty three, thirty three, thirty four? Yeah, balance would be ideal. Ladies and gentlemen, Carolyn Pierce. <laughs> That's it for episode 18 of Penny Red. For any questions or comments arising from the show, daniel at hazardgaming.com. Numbered and signed copies of Victoria can be found at hazardgaming.com. And there's also a stealth link for a specially priced PDF, which you can get by going to the Buy Victoria link for, at Hazard Gaming and then scrolling down on the right-hand side of the white part of the page below the picture until you come to a point across from the enter address field for the PDF. If you click that link, it'll take you to a secret page where you can purchase Victoria's PDF for only $6.99 as opposed to $9.99, and there's the opportunity there for you to take any number of the resources that there are and uh, pay what you like. The money generated from the pay what you like button goes towards the production costs of the show. Whether you decide to contribute or not, next week's guest is Laura Bishop. You may be familiar with Laura's work from DreamPod 9, where she worked on the Tribe 8 game line. You may also know her from the podcast Actual People, Actual Play, or App App, as the cool kids call it. So until next week, keep talking the walk.